The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora Tato Katoa. This is Gone by Lunchtime. Back again for 2019. And back thanks to Flick Electric Company, who sponsored the entirety of the spin off politics content. Uh, we're enormously grateful to them and strongly encourage you to go and check out the offers that are available. You can click through on any article, um, any politics article on the spin off um, and check it out. Yay, Flick. Kia ora tato katoa, this is Gone By Lunchtime back in 2019 with Annabelle Lee. Hello Annabelle. Kia ora. I'm actually Annabelle Lee Mather now. Annabelle Lee Mather. Yeah, it's official. It's on my bank account and wow. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, ben, any adjustments to your surname? Still Thomas? Tomas. No, I, d- I didn't go to Ratana or Waitangi, so I was offered no new names this oh. year. Just got the... Standard ones. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to call you Tomas though, because I think it just adds something special. Bit of intrigue, mm. like a kind of Milan Kundera character, a little bit like a kickboxer mm. who's uh, avoided deportation. <laughs> um, just, just the same six names I've always had <laughs> across my three passports, my four government records. The big news, listeners, is we've got new microphones. Excuse me, there's a cough. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts over the summer, and I've um, worked out how to do them, finally. Oh, good. The main thing is to project almost not at all. So you're speaking really close to the microphone and barely projecting and say what the time is. Go, it's quarter past three on February the 12th. We'll be right back. You know what we need to do this year? What do we need? We need to solve a murder. That's what we need to do. Put some true crime into Gone by Lunchtime. I think so, of course. I suggested this on Twitter a while back that we should rebrand as a like a solving New Zealand supernatural mysteries, <gasps> and, mm. and 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 but we could keep it with a political bent, and that we mm. would like. You know, we'd, we'd go down and Joe Goodhue, or because it would be Andrew Falloon now, would help us solve the mystery of the Ashburton Panther. Brilliant. Um, the, the Invercargill Pooper is the one that we need to do first. We've talked a lot about that in the office. Oh, yeah, that's compelling. That's, we need to know. That's yeah. 12 parts. Mm. Get, get Sarah Dowie on the case. We'll, we'll go down and sort out the, the, the one remaining mystery yeah. of the <laughs> Invercargill, the Clutha South of the Invercargill electorate. <laughs> um, 
Tina Tiller is with us as ever on the dials. Hi, Tina. And um, we have just been watching Simon Bridges and Jacinda Ardern. I missed that. Winston Peters and all that lot. Missed the whole thing. um, Launch the parliamentary sitting year, haven't we, Annabelle? No. But you guys said, how was it? Ben, how was it? I came in about, what, halfway through the Prime Minister's statement. Mm, mm. Um, She presented well. Mm. Um, After a shaky couple of weeks, she has not... She, I, I didn't think she's looked that great in her first round of public appearances since coming back from her tri- triumphant overseas trip to Davos and to the UK, um, where she sorted out Brexit for Theresa May, um, s- sat on a stage with um, David Attenborough. Prin- prin- was it was it and Meghan Markle? Was it Don't Prince know William? If Megan was there. There were royals. Right. There were some royals, and they talked I about. I think Prince William was there. Yeah, they talked about the importance of addressing mental health issues, mm. um, talked about kindness, talked about everything that New Zealand was doing, mm. or at least planned to do. Well being. Well being and kindness and mental health inquiry, once that sort of. What's the tenth round of consultation on what the bureaucrats should advise the government's response? to the report to be, then we will have a way forward on that sometime in sort of the mid-2030s, I think. Um, but but no, uh, but no. in terms of her speech today... Um, it to be a big page in the wellbeing budget to get Ben Thomas <laughs> Did Auntie have board, her swag bag on today? Pep in her step? <laughs> um, she looked a lot more assured. Um yeah, I think she presented well. The speech, Toby, I don't know what were your thoughts. It was it was a pretty boilerplate kind of speech. Yeah. Um, you know, the sort of thing you'd probably expect in the second year for the, the year of delivery, hmm. as it's been termed. Talked about leadership a lot. Um, talked about not not, let it, not not following business as usual or, or the status quo. Yeah. Uh, a little light on specifics, but that, that's okay. The government's got a pretty, um, you know, the, the government has a pretty well-outlined um, program for this year, which is wait for a whole bunch of working groups to report back and then, you know, go from there. And um, she telegraphed that very early in the year by saying it was the year for delivery and Simon Bridges leapt on that understandably and everyone agrees it's the year for delivery. And uh, so we will see all these working groups come back from tax onwards, some already have, and... Um, there'll be a lot of examination about where the policy really sits, whether the legislation can get through the um, close examination of the partners in government and um, game on. Tom Bridges did quite well in his response, I thought, after a... Yeah, he was was pretty fiery. You could tell the Prime Minister was obviously feeling confident, um, hot on the heels of a very good poll for Labour last night. Um, on TV3, and but but Simon Bridges came out with a bit of fire in his belly. Probably the best speech I've seen him give in Parliament. Some good jokes, I'd say. It's some jokes. Well, what I don't know if he's got a new. Oh wait, uh, I wrote them down. Oh, cool. He did you? one. Um, he's, oh, he's got a bit of a groan in the office, but uh, let's give it credit. He did say that um, in relation to the fisheries reforms that Marama Davidson seemed more concerned about the sea word than the seafood. <laughs> I'm okay with that. You okay? Yeah. I think when, when we say jokes, I think 
That was the main one. That was the only joke. He did a Winston <laughs> Peters impression. He did like a he did like a gravel voice. I don't know if he should roll that out again, but um, <laughs> it was a re- it was I, I thought you know it was, it was a pretty good speech and reply. Um, he. So he's, he's sort of um, <laughs> put, a, put a technical error. And it, should we just talk about the poll? Let's talk about the poll. Everyone wants to talk about the poll. Um, yeah, let's talk about the poll. Did you get a chance to catch the poll? Annabelle? Had a little look at the poll, mm. and um, yeah, that's hurty Bernie's on Simon's heart for sure. Yeah, you can't deny that that's not really bad news for National, even though apparently. Ben did try to this morning. It was um, no, go on, go on. Um, the thing that I thought was interesting is so, what's her rating for preferred prime minister? It's About like forty-one. Forty-one. What I thought was interesting 41. is 8. that forty-one point eight. About forty-two. Sixty-eight percent of people believe she's performing well, which means even the people that don't support her or don't support Labor think that she's doing a good mm. job, and I think mm. that is what's most important. That will probably be how Labor gets back in. Is not necessarily that everybody suddenly becomes staunch Labor supporters, but like that um, she is seen to be doing a good job. Mm. New Zealanders love that she is representing us on the world stage. She um, she was quoted by TV Three as saying, "You know, this this wasn't a reflection on her personal brand." It is uh, absolutely. The, the polling. It was. It was. It was a team effort from all of the Labour and uh, New Zealand First Government. She's um, so which kind. Is, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like She's a it's kind of like you know, when, <laughs> like one of those Well-being. three-legged races. You know, at a, a parent kid day. You know, where the the, the 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 parent just picks up the kid and runs them to the finish line. Is like we did it, champ. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, I, th- I thought it was. A, do you remember that interview she did with the New York Times, where her mum talked about when she was like in primary school, she set up a happy club mm. with the rules uh, where um, uh, for unhappy girls in the class, and there were mm. rules about saying nice things about each other. And I was like, this is the this is the best indication that I think the rules of happy club are applied to the New Zealand cabinet. But <laughs> you know. <laughs> Jacinda's like, we're not leaving anyone behind. Everyone's getting credit here. I think that's actually part of her appeal because I think few people could get away with talking about relentless positivity and kindness, but I think that it is actually authentic to who she is because, uh, and if it, you know, that's reinforced by those stories that you do hear about her. And, you know, politics is so ugly. I think that if she was faking it, the veil would slip pretty quickly. So. Oh yeah, look, absolutely. What what you see is what you get. She's, I mean, possibly the nicest human being on earth. Mm. Do you think? Right up there. So, certainly the nicest person on earth who makes a career out of politics. Probably the so. nicest person in New Zealand. Um, there are a number of things that the Tina looks real aghast. Thanks for leaving like, me hanging. God. Thanks, guys. I mean, like, you're fine, but <laughs> she's dealing with a lot of pressure and is still this nice, you know? Like, you're just, yeah, you're just trying to get Toby to record a podcast. Like, I'm just trying to work through the issues. I just want to get through the issues, not have the nice Olympics. <laughs> can, I ha- can I say one more thing about the poll, which is one of the things that I'm curious about is the Judith Collins element. And I think it's interesting that a big deal is kind of being made of it, about her being 
um, more popular than Bridges. It's literally only 1.2%. It's like your era of margin. Margin of far yeah. out. Yeah. Margin of error, excuse Margin me. of far out. But, um, but I mean, even literally if you times that by four <laughs> together, if you add them together and times mm. them by four, it's mm. still not like coming close to Jacinda. The other thing that I wonder too is how that poll was put together. I wonder if those names are volunteered without any prompting or actually if the poll specifically asks about Judith because you I'm know polls are pretty put sure they don't give you a list I, are I you mean, sure about that? I will double check after we've finished this recording unless Ben can confirm or contradict otherwise but there's oh, certainly thought, one I of them I thought the TV ones didn't one of, no, I'm, one of them whether one or both of the Colmar Brunton the Reid polls um, do not offer you a list of names to choose from I don't think they do in this. I think you have to volunteer them. Yeah, those, those Horizon polls used to prompt names, but I think most general best practices you don't. If anyone out there knows the answer, call us on 0800 Gone by Lunchtime. Well, if they if they don't um, offer names to list, you'll hear this in the podcast and it will show that I'm right. If they do, then I'll just delete <laughs> it from the podcast <laughs> so as not to be exposed as a fool. But I don't think it's necessary. It shouldn't be read as a... Um, as uh, you know, a, a huge statement of support in Judith. I think instead, it's mm. a, it shows a lack of support for Simon. I mean, if she I, was I around ten percent or something, I, then maybe. But I think it's more, uh, you know, people showing their uh, their disapproval of Simon rather than their approval of um, oh, Judith. I don't know about that. I, I I think that if you've any time you've got somebody who's not a party leader, in particular, you know, actually any time somebody who's not a major party leader, but especially, you know, somebody who's in a major party but not the leader shows up in the preferred PM rankings, that's a that's a huge vote of confidence in the, the kind of media profile that they've managed to get. Um, and look, Judith Collins had it. A huge year last year. I mean, th- this, this year started off essentially while the Prime Minister was overseas with... Phil Twyford sort of running up the white flag on the Kiwi Build targets for this year and the government basically abandoning, you know, each stage of its Kiwi Build targets for the next 10 years, except for saying that somehow there will still be 100,000 new houses in that time frame, but, you know, we don't know when. Um, you know, Judith Collins is absolutely monstered Twyford on that. Um, she's, I think she's she's really kind of rehabilitated her public image um, you know, from the point, you know, at which she was sort of, um, she resigned from the key cabinet, um, you know, way back when, about four years ago. So I, I, I think it is to do with her positive performance rather than a sort of, you know, no confidence vote in Bridges. But I, th- I think you're right. When, you know, there, there was this idea that the drumbeats became inexorable for Jacinda Ardern to become the leader of Labour when she catapulted over Andrew Little. At the time, yeah, she was on 10.5%. Um, that was when she became deputy leader of the party. Now, 6.2 is not really the same as 10.5. Um, and, you know, even, even though Bridges, you know, 5%, you wouldn't be happy with that as the leader of a major party. Um, it's it's not that same irresistible pull right now. That I No, but there's a direction that. of travel that's unmistakable the same. And... The question then is whether or not that support, which is out there, can be translated into the caucus. And it, although, of course, whereas in the Labour Party, um, members of the party 
overall get a say in the National Party they don't so that's a difference but they still obviously have an influence and I think there will be people who are saying if Judith Collins can leapfrog Simon Bridges in a poll uh, when she is not doesn't have the leadership what can she achieve with the leadership and that's what her supporters will be saying and people will be talking about it and crucially the other number these numbers happen at the same time for National to go down to 41.6 as they have in this News, news Hub poll, poll um, the kind of the kind of Hail Mary option of getting in without any support parties by dropping the other two under five through mechanisms such as ruling out or Vernon, the Vernon Tarver solution, <laughs> having a sort of green-blue party that would eat into the – that goes. So at that point, you've got a bunch of people who are reasonably enough asking questions. That doesn't mean he's – I'm not, I'm not suggesting, suggesting that there's going to be a coup this week, this month, whatever – but it's it's it seems to me if this carries on even slightly that that Simon Bridges' leadership is clearly at risk. I don't I don't necessarily agree that she's redeemed herself in the eyes of the public and specifically about Kiwi Build. I think most people were pretty appalled by that personal attack that she launched on the young couple that um, had had won the ballot. And I think she is seen as someone who. Um, you know, can be incredibly problematic and polarising within her own party. So I'm not sure that she will be the the answer to um, to Nationals' problems. And I think that certainly in the eyes of a lot of the public, you know, she's seen as um, uh, unnecessarily cruel and there may not be an appetite for that in our our new environment of um, relentless positivity and kindness. Um, It's it's interesting, some polling that was done by UMR that we published um, after Bill English announced he was standing down, before the field had been um, filled, Um, and Judith Collins came out on top both among National Party members and uh, among the general public, but she didn't get much more than about seven or eight from memory. Excuse me. So the question is whether there's a ceiling. I think you know there are obviously people who back her strongly, who like the the strong and decisive brand that she's um, that she's herself propagated. But whether or not there is room for her to 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 charge up much further than that. Yeah, I mean, look, Judith Collins is the apex predator in New Zealand politics. <laughs> she, um, I mean, she's she's supremely adaptable, right? So in her different sort of incarnations, you know, whether it's been Crusher Collins, full on law and order, or in sort of other roles where she's had, you know, in opposition, she was the um, welfare spokesperson for a time, mm. and actually she, uh, you know, brought to an end the career of David Benson Pope. Um, you know, and and that and that was you know a kind of still kind of very you know very uh, steel backboned, but you know but was about sort of um, you know abuses of power or about you know about protecting the you know <laughs> protecting the vulnerable, um, and and she does have I think she has a wider kind of emotional range uh, than a lot of her critics tend to suggest um, in terms of being able to connect with the public. That said, I think it's I think it's hypothetical right now. I don't think that there is any kind of um, imminent threat to Bridges' leadership. You know, I don't think there are sort of swirling conspiracies to remove him right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think she's a strong leadership option at any point. Um, have, have people forgotten about Ayurveda, do you think, Ben? 
Yeah, I think that's what I, that was the sort of thing that I was kind of talking about. I think there, after she returned to cabinet um, in the dying days of the key government, um, I th- I think that there was a bit of a you know a reset um, in terms of those sort of you know that she paid her she paid her dues for that. Um, she was she was exonerated by the inquiry into those you know emails about you know serious fraud office. Um, and, you know, I, I, what I'm, about the Cameron Slater stuff? I, th- I think the that tip was line that. is that she gained the nickname of. I mean, the, the 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 resignation came as a result of the dirty politics book. It wasn't yeah, within yeah, the book itself, but it was in that yeah, whole yeah. Mix. Well, well, and that's she right. disputed and she disputed it, but yeah, and, and so those right. emails about Adam Feely, head of the association, whether whether she was pursuing some sort of animus against him, um, the the. You know that was investigated, and you know nothing really came of it. So I, I think actually of of all the people you know who were part of that whole saga, you know she actually did go through an examination and um, and kind of came out the other end. And in so far as the Jamie Lee Ross saga, as it must be called, could have been seen as a kind of um, spasm redux of dirty politics, she wasn't. Associated with that, I don't think she was damaged. No, by and that, in was fact, she? she was one of the, she was probably the first national MP who spoke out really strongly against Jamie Lee Ross, and you know, um, and and said that his his actions were sort of unforgivable for a caucus member. Um, she was also, I mean, if you th- if you think back to Ponytail Gate, um, was the only national MP who criticised John Key at the mm, time. Um, interesting. And so, I, you know, I think she is a slightly more complex character mm. than a lot of, you know, people particularly on the left um, tend to paint her as. You know, she does have very strong feminist credentials. I think she was the first woman president of the um, Auckland District Law Society. Um, but, but, you know, she, yeah, I, I think there is, there is a bit more to her and she has a lot more credibility um, on on a lot of the issues where she's sort of you know where, where maybe her opponents just kind of take for granted that she has sort of unsound ideas or principles um, than people might think. I think um, you know you have to acknowledge how incredibly disciplined National have been in terms of uh, their support of you know the publicly unwavering support for for Simon. Or, but I disagree with you, Ben, in terms of this poll because. I feel like it's been a death, it's a death by a thousand cuts for Simon, but this feels like more of a stab, this poll result, so. With about, if, a death, if death is a thousand cuts, would mm. you say there's like two, three hundred cuts? Like how much? How many, how many cuts has he sustained so yeah. far? Maybe like 738, so two, maybe. Two, two, two but, then, but now a stab. Ben, but now a stab. on the cut quotient? How many cuts? Out of a thousand. But I reckon if you get enough sticky plasters, potentially, he could be all right. Just sort of wrap yourself up like a mummy. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, look, obviously, look, I, I don't think there's any way of saying it's a good poll for national. <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty clearly not. The gap, which, you know, if you take out New Zealand first because they didn't get over 5%, the gap is about the same as that bad poll um, for them 
in that TV One had. It's about a twelve percent gap. November, uh, October, yeah, end of October. It was a better one in December, and um, and and that's about a twelve point gap between the government and National by itself. Mm. And that you know, look, that's 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 a tough that's a tough um, you know hurdle to overcome. That's Mm. that's big. Um, On the other hand, you know, when you look at um, when you look at polls. There's always, for over a year, starting at the beginning and at the end, it's always a bit of a sort of U-shape. Starts off high for the government, dips in the middle of winter, and then it tends to be higher um, as summer starts again. I think so it's really all boozing related. Like the more booze we, <laughs> we drink, the better we feel about the it's government. The, it's, that it's, right? it's, it's essentially the, the that. Thomas it's, curve. Yeah, it's psychology. Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically you know people tend to support the government of the day. Um, when we to, to around the, to around the same level that they feel good about themselves and they feel good about themselves in their lives when they're on <laughs> holiday in summer and <laughs> and it's true it's true the poll was completed um, before even White I think did this, did this, February the second was the last last day that it was done um, yeah. and so maybe some of the kind of Kiwi build stuff hadn't sunk in yet should we talk a little bit we've talked a bit about it, a little bit more about the Kiwi build that uh, that is obviously going to continue to be in the foreground this year how vulnerable is this government on the Kiwi build and the promises made on that, Annabelle? I think they kind of need to get their shit together, really, yeah. don't they? In short, I, yeah, I, I think they've just made a really bad mistake by, I think it's great to be ambitious, mm. you know, we should all be ambitious, especially when faced with such a terrible crisis, mm. but perhaps they should have... Um, uh, focused on doing some things that might have been easier to achieve, like making sure that all of uh, Housing New Zealand's housing stock was like um, tenantable and, in fact, tenanted. Like we're still hearing stories about houses that have sat empty for years, even though there's nothing wrong with them because they need like a handrail or something like that. So maybe if they'd included that into their, you know, their 1,000 homes in the first year, including getting all of the housing stock, you know, livable. It might have been better for them, but yeah, I just think they really need to start pulling some rabbits out of the house on on um, on Kiwi Build. And it's not that it's uh, you know I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater, but they do have to start getting people into houses. This this might be a bit controversial. Um, I think there's two propositions about Kiwi Build that are true. The first one is that it's it's failed completely, and it will probably continue to fail completely. Um, the second thing is that I don't necessarily think it will hurt them as elector uh, hurt hurt the government electorally as much as National is probably hoping. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, just like we were talking about, you know, people are happier during summer during barbecues. Um, the people who will be unhappy that Kiwi Build um, is not succeeding are people who are trying to get into their first homes. Electorally, that's not actually a huge mm. number of people. Um, they are young people. They're people who are probably voting Labour anyway, and will probably continue to vote Labour. Um, and you know the, the the boomers, the grandpa, the concerned grandparents, you know who might who who will admit that the housing crisis is a problem. You know it's it's because it's not a direct problem to them because of their hugely inflated asset values that they have now. <laughs> you know to to fund their retirements and their overseas trips. Um, 
they're not going to worry about it too much once it's out of the headlines. The headlines right now are that you know house prices in Auckland have plateaued, um, that there could even be a slight drop in house prices, um, and that's been the case for probably the last you know two years. You know, health price house price growth is is a lot lower than it was, um, and so you won't see the same level of panic um, in the electorate once, you know, once it's out of the headlines. Now, that's not because houses are affordable. You know, the, the fact that house price growth is slow doesn't mean that suddenly, you know, 30-year-olds have a million dollars to buy a house in Howick that they didn't have before. Um, they're still locked out, but it won't assume the sort of crisis proportions in the media that it's done in the past. And so I think Labour will be yeah, able but to sort of get away maybe with Maybe to some degree, but in terms of the kind of hurly-burly of the political argument, National aren't suggesting that necessarily the crisis will be of Labour's making because clearly that's not the case. It's more a political management. It's a competency issue, isn't it? Yeah, there is that competence issue, and I think that's why Kiwi Build will slowly disappear from the political vocabulary <laughs> of the current government. Um, I don't did Simon Bridges said that the government didn't say the word Kiwi that Jacinda didn't say the word Kiwi build once during I think she alluded to I think she, she alluded, alluded to, to it. Housing. She talked about contracting four thousand more houses. But I think that they're just going they're going to stop using that piece of branding um, you know, to the extent that they can. Hey um do you guys want to like chip in and we buy one of those places in Wanaka? Those oh, Kiwi the ones build that ones that going. haven't sold it. They're, they're gone by lunchtime. Make a, make time a share. cheeky offer. Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. Cool. Um, gone by lunchtime share. Yeah. We'll be crowdfunding for that. We can put it on Airbnb when we're not there and be like cherubillionaires. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that happened recently was Waitangi um, and um, what do you think? Annabelle, it seemed a bit like, to me, a bit like a um, – after last year, there was – you wrote a great piece for the spin-off website. Oh, do you think? Oh, it was a tremendous kind. piece. It's a tremendous piece. Tony, you never said that to me before. About um, Tell me what you liked about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You made the point that the, the, the very fact of, of going there for five days and showing that the, she was engaged in conversation and taking part, blah, 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 was a big deal. And then, of course – um, Jacinda Ardern was the first to speak from the veranda, mm. blah, 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 lots of that sort of stuff. And then yes, this year felt a bit to me like when there's a really good film and they decide to make a sequel and it's really just the same plot, but you've sort of seen it before, so it doesn't have the same, it's not quite as... Like the Hangover 2 kind of but thing. But like the Hangover 2. Yeah, I heard that her speech this year wasn't as electrifying as what it was last year, that it seemed a bit... Um, it was fine. Yeah, it was, it was fine, but it kind of yeah. lacked her magic. But then I, I wasn't actually at Waitangi. I saw the photo of her with um, Hekinuku Mai Busby, and I thought, whatever the speech lacked, I think that photo probably, you know, made up for it. It was a pretty, pretty cool pick. Um, yeah, it was an interesting Waitangi. Can I say a bit of an own goal in terms of inviting Don Brash? But uh, can we talk about that? Can because, we can we talk about that? Because because the the <laughs> Teiti Marae, yeah. the Lower Marae at Waitangi, which is where all the drama always goes down. That's where you have the media set piece of the Prime Minister of the day, whoever it is, being jostled by crowds and protesters, and the um, the greetings are always interrupted, and people have to be rushed off the Marae, you know, um, to waiting cars. 
and that's that's actually largely where this idea of Waitangi as a day of conflict and and drama, you know, was created in the media's eyes. And successive successive prime ministers, first Helen Clark boycotted the Lower Marae, then John Key elected to skirt around it. I think Bill English missed the Lower Marae. And Jacinda Ardern has continued that tradition. She no longer she hasn't gone to the Lower Marae um, as the entree to Waitangi. They've all actually been criticised by this. But this year, when the Lower Marae Committee decided to invite Dom Brash to speak, you know, it just shows, that, it kind of shows they just love drama. You know, they were just trying to provoke a reaction and become the centre of attention again. I, I, th- I thought the whole thing was sort of kind of desperately cynical. You know, my favourite thing about that, though, is the, the, the wife of the guy who invited Don Brash, whose name is Hene Hotorini, she's like a northern legend of a woman, real staunch wahine. While Don Brash was inside speaking, she was outside on the loud hailer, like, you know, shouting it all down. And to me, that's the ultimate expression of tenorangatiratanga. You know, everyone's allowed to have their different points of view. So I thought that was pretty cool. But why they invited him in the first place is just beyond me. I felt I, I was really disappointed, actually. I thought it was a, a stupid move to give him a platform. Well, they, they invited Brian Tamaki as well. I mean, it, it just seemed like going oh, I after... I heard it was like a turf war up there between Destiny and Mihingare Church. Sorry, no, yeah, not Destiny Mihingare. Church versus no, Mihingare Forbes. No, that was incredible. Mihingare Church, which is the Anglicans who were wearing T-shirts that said, I think it said 1814, about how long they had been there, um, versus the Destiny Church, the Man Up crew, who apparently the, the sound of the motorbikes and all of that down there was horrendous. So it's, it became like a kind of weird religious tug-of-war, turf war, mm. more, which is weird. There was a point made by Peony Henare, who is the MP for Tamaki Makoto, but is Ngapuhi as well and is very closely yeah, connect, yeah. connected with all, all of everything that happens at Waitangi. Um, he made a point, which is interesting, about there being a danger that the events that happen at the Upper Marae now, which are really beautiful mm. and quite serene, and very respectful, and there, I mean, there was one very short protest before the start of the Porfiri that was sort of dealt with quite quickly and, and um, respectfully. And then down on the Lomaraya Titi, there's all this kind of um, much more a sense of both chaos, but also a party, you know, like, mm. all, I mean, certainly on the 5th. And the thing that Penny Henare said was that there was a danger that the Upamurai start seeming like an elitist yeah. affair. Yeah. And uh, that, that that they had to be alert to that in the yeah. years going forward. Because once it doesn't stops being novel and starts being a it's sort of there's a, there is is that a real uh, a I, real thing? I hadn't actually thought about it, but yeah, I think that's an astute observation. Good on him. Ben just Ben Ben, any thoughts ben. on that? You you just I I think that the Lower Marae has been a circus for a long time now and that if they if if the committee wants to bring, you know, formalities back there and, and become, you know, an official part of the program again, um, they need to you know, I, I think they need to show that they want something other than just a circus. And I don't think inviting Don Brash and Brian Tamaki and promoting it through the media um, is the way to do that. I don't know if, think if it would have been like that this year if Kingy had been there. I'm not sure if he would have 
I find it hard to believe that Kingi Taurua would have been supportive of Don Brash coming myself. Yeah. Or, or, or the man up stuff. Mm. Missed him this year. It's not, it feels strange to have Waitangi without him. Um, another Waitangi institution is, of course, Shane Jones, who's in charge of the Provincial Growth Fund. And um, in the days before Waitangi was. Um, and the pre Waitangi boil up. Piss up. Um, the. The, 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 he, um, there were there were various announcements, um, um, distributions of parts of that money. How's that looking? Do you guys reckon in terms of? I mean, it just strikes me that it, two of the boldest parts of the government's plans are Kiwi Build and the Provincial Growth Fund, both with um, being run by ministers, whether it's Phil Twyford or New Zealand First Shane Jones, who are, we might say confident men. Um, Possibly sometimes risking hubris, um, and I guess um, I want to ask you whether my little pet theory that that those are, that forward makes that therefore makes them vulnerable is is a real one. Well, National have been bandying about this figure that you know fifty four jobs have been created by the provincial growth fund so far, and one hundred and eighteen jobs in Wellington for bureaucrats administering it. Um, similarly, Kiwi Build, there's been about two, two or three new departments set up for it um, and, you know, 40, 47 houses built. Um, so, I, you know, I, th- I think that um, there's <laughs> – you'll action that. Uh, <laughs> the I, – yeah, I, I mean, there you know, there's, there's two theories about the Provincial Growth Fund. One is that – you know, it's sort of like that an '80s movie called Brewster's Millions, um, <laughs> where where a poor guy finds out he's secretly inherited, that. you know, untold wealth, but he can only inherit it if he spends something like ten million dollars in ten days, and he's not allowed to buy anything of value. He's just got to spend it on parties so that to teach him about how how it's you know to be <laughs> sick of money. He'll be so sick of money by the time he inherits, you know, this vast wealth. Um, and, you know, and, and you, you could almost sort of see this as like, you know, is, is, this the, is this Shane Jones's karmic punishment from the gods saying, you know, you, you want it to be this czar of like irresponsible spending. Now you've got to spend $3 billion before like the next election. And, you know, is he just going to drown in it, you know? But of course they really uh, don't want to spend the, the, the lion's share of it until election year, right? Like that's when you're the... the and, yeah, that, well, that's really the, that's the other theory, it. right, is that $3 billion is going to be blowing in election year in key electorates, um, you know, where, where New Zealand First think they've got a tilt. Yeah, well, New Zealand, I mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> just pre- New Zealand First polling well under 5%, they often do in the, in this sort of point in the cycle, but, yeah. you know, they need to do something. Right? They've got a real challenge because, yeah, sure, New Zealand First always poll poorly between elections, but every t- the two times they've been in government before, they haven't cleared fi- the 5% threshold in the next election. They don't have an electorate seat now, you know, unless they're literally just going to buy all of Whangarei and then, you know, move move their committee into use the Provincial Growth Fund to, like, create a small satellite city in Northland, which will be exclusively, um, you know, populated by New Zealand first voters or something. I don't know. But it, it, they're... You know, they, yeah, they, they, they do have that real challenge. I mean, and, and the thing, when you think about the scale of the Provincial Growth Fund, 
it's easy to sort of think, oh, one billion dollars, that's only about one percent of all government spending per year. That's that's nothing, right? But then if you compare it to their the long suffering support party, the Greens, they have a one hundred million dollar green investment bank as part of their uh, their agreement with the government. And that's one hundred million dollars that the government has given, you know, to this bank that will lend on commercial interest-bearing terms to any project that can show that it has a demonstrable business and environmental case mm. backing it. Mm. $100 million over three years, uh, whereas <laughs> New Zealand First have been given $3 billion to literally just spend however Shane Jones wants. You know, the scale of this thing is actually staggering. Um, and unless, I think unless, you know, unless, you know, he wants to move the port or, you know, create a new railway link, um, it's going to be very hard to actually spend that much money. Well, yeah, the, the the connection of Northport to Wellington and what that requires will surely be part of what goes down. In, I, I, I th- you'd, you'd have to expect that, yeah. Um, the, 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 the other thing that was mentioned in the speech today and that has been a thing hovering around this week is uh, foreign policy or um, China really in terms of the headlines the front page uh, splash on the Herald this morning was about um, uh, China p- postponing a state visit by Jacinda Ardern and about um, postponing a tourism project and then we had the intriguing aeroplane that was turned around half the way to Shanghai, I think, um, which is very puzzling to understand, something to do with getting the paperwork done and something to do with mentioning Taiwan and who knows what. Um, It does feel like in the midst of a kind of burgeoning trade war, whatever you want to call it, war between superpowers of the United States and China, that New Zealand um, is going to have to make some calls. Yeah, so you know, obviously, Trump and the, the Tr- Trumpist America and Beijing are in, engaged in a, a trade war right now. Um, that takes place around the same time uh, that China has been quite strongly asserting its strategic interests in the Pacific. You know, this Belt and Road uh, Initiative that they have, investing a lot of money in the Pacific Islands. Um, you know, which have traditionally been in our sphere of influence in the in the Anglosphere, I suppose. Um, it, it is pretty hard to write all of this off as a coincidence. It's very difficult. Um, the, the the prime minister's visit to Beijing last year was put off mm. uh, at the end of last year. Um, her current trip is, you know, currently any visit is doubtful. Um, a, pro, a tourism project that was agreed between the, you know between New Zealand and China back under the key government, uh, which was going to be announced, I think, next week. Barry Soper has brought news that uh, that that's that's just off mm. that announcement, and the plane being turned around, you know, supposedly about paperwork. Although Hamish Rutherford at Stuff wrote a piece about this, saying that it was because they mentioned Taiwan in the paperwork, but apparently that issue was first raised in 2018. So you know this this. It's pretty hard to avoid the idea that this was kind of a technicality or a long-standing grey area that was seized on. It's one of those things that's happened in the past in terms of um, 
exports of goods where they're held up at the border over owing to what seem to be minor technical issues and then um, but, but it's they actually, hard to know they whether you're trace doing back too to much sort of Kremlinology about whether they're actually sort of messages that are being sent. Right? I, I mean, we saw this when there were investigations into um, Chinese steel mesh that was being sold in New mm. Zealand. There was a dumping complaint about that and suddenly New Zealand kiwi fruit started running into a lot of... Um, regulatory problems over in China. So, you know, there has been a lot, there's been quite a bit written about this that, you know, strategically, militarily, our interests are with the United States, trade and commercially, they are with China. You know, the amount of trade we do with China is huge, dwarfs dwarfs the United States by a long way. But, and and the the idea has always been to keep these two things separate. But what that sort of misses is the idea that China doesn't keep these things separate. These things are inextricably linked with China for China. Mm. Their strategic dominance, you know, and their strategic sort of outreach into the Pacific is all predicated on economics. It's all predicated on pumping money into the Pacific Islands and actually pumping money into New Zealand. So you can't. It, it, We've always maintained what I think is a polite fiction that we can disentangle these two things, that we can go with China for trade, United States for military and strategic support. Um, that's looking increasingly less like plausible. Annabelle, you got anything to add on that front? No. Um, Annabelle has been <clears throat> vandalising my pad. And um, I'm going to go and speak to a lawyer. Uh, that's <laughs> gone by lunchtime. Uh, we're going to be back real soon, maybe even this month. Thank you, Tina. Thank you very much to Flick Electric Company. They're our dear friends. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you to you, listener. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.